Smith and Jones on a Wednesday. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And a fairly light night last night in the National Basketball Association. Four games. And the Los Angeles Lakers continue to struggle as they lose in New York by six to the Knicks. Portland, they've stayed hot after having a bit of a rough road trip. They come home and they've kind of righted the ship as they've won now four in a row as they get a blowout victory over the Denver Nuggets. And the Nuggets may have just suffered a season-ending injury uh, that will impact them going forward. And uh, Los Angeles last night, in, uh, in spite of excuse me, some late heroics from Paul George, uh, ultimately not enough as it goes to overtime uh, with the Mavericks beating the Clippers in the first game of the night with Miami beating Detroit, as we assumed they would, even though it was a little bit tighter perhaps than some people thought. But, Jonesy, I want to start with the Lakers. Uh, they're going to be a story all season if it stays like this, hovering right around that 500 mark and now a game below 500, sitting in the ninth spot, and they pretty much are at, the quarter point now they've played 19 games they're only a game better than the Toronto Raptors at 8 and 10 the Los Angeles Lakers at 9 and 10 and I don't even remember who it was that was saying this the other day when we spoke to him um uh was it might have been Mark Spears get healthy come playoff time and you're clearly going to be dangerous because you've got LeBron James let alone Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and the rest but this is going to be interesting, to say the least, to watch them all season. If this is what they are, and they can't stay healthy, and they can't get the synergy and the chemistry going, and, and they struggle like this, it's going to be a story all year. I, th- I think we got to reconnect with Jonesy again. <laughs> Back-to-back days, the Gremlins hitting Jonesy right out of the gates. Either we need to find him a different spot to sit in, or we've got to get him a booster. Go on to, isn't, you know, we got, we got the Black Friday sales going on, but, you know, go get, go get him one of those uh, Wi-Fi boosters or something, and we can uh, hopefully get his, his uh, signal in check. Um, as the Los Angeles Lakers again lose last night in New York to the Knicks in the loss. Anthony Davis had 20, Russell Westbrook had 31, 13, and 10, so the triple double for Russ, but not enough. As Evan Fournier had 26, Julius Randle had 20 and 16, R.J. Barrett with 12, and three players going for 12-plus off the bench, topping Burks and quickly as the Knicks got it done against the Lakers. And yes, of note, uh, LeBron James did not play last night. But how many times have we been saying that lately as well? LeBron James not playing. And and I know that uh, I'm not splitting the atom when I say because a lot of people have been discussing it, the possibility of is father time starting to catch up? Or is this just a blip? Is this just, you know, one of those things? Because you clearly went through some ups and downs last year as well. And now here we are at another season, a second straight season. And for a guy who has been as durable, and listen, be clear, I am not jumping on the guy. I'm not ragging on the guy. I'm not jumping on the, you know, time to to criticize or time to, to poke the bear at LeBron James and whatever else. I'm merely just asking the question. Because I think it's a, a a real one to ask, and it's the reality of father time, period. Is it finally showing its true colors with LeBron James and with the you know Lakers roster overall? They got rid of a lot of their young or younger talent. They kept one of them, as we all know, unwilling to give him up in a potential deal for Kyle Lowry. But there was more youth more younger or youngish pieces, and this is a veteran-laden team now. Outside of Taylor Horton Tucker, not a lot of young pieces, certainly pieces that you would want 
long-term on that team. But you take a look at their roster, you know, Ariza and Carmelo Anthony, 36 and 37 years old, even Bazemore at 32. Anthony Davis, yeah, okay, 28, but, a, you know, a, a, a vet still on this team. Wayne Ellington, 33. LeBron James, 36. DeAndre Jordan, 33. It's an older team, right? Russell Westbrook, 33. Rondo, 35. I think the Lakers are beyond interesting. And think back to last year when they were right at that bubble as well. But, as I noted off the top, what makes them as equally interesting is the fact that if they get in, and again, we got 60-plus games to go still, if they get in, which I still believe they will, you want to face the L.A. Lakers if you're a 1-2 seed and they're the 7th or 8th seed or even in a 3-6 matchup? With that veteran experience, it might not play out long-term for the long-term viability of the Lakers, but in the short term, if they can just get through and deal with the injuries and deal with the age and deal with the ups and downs, if they can get in, man, I wouldn't want to face the Lakers. If you were suddenly to transfer the Toronto Raptors into the Western Conference and the Raptors make the, you know, the playoffs, do I want to see the Lakers in the first round? Heck no. So i got to imagine... It would be the same thing for a lot of teams out West that would not want any part of the Lakers. But, you know, here's another way of looking at this, too. And I'm guilty of this myself. Because as I've told you many, many, many times, folks, as a, as a kid born in the mid-'70s and growing up in the heyday of the 80s, when I first got hooked on the game, I was a fan of the Lakers. I was a fan of the Showtime Lakers. Magic Johnson was and still is my guy. So I keep an eye on the Lakers. The fan in me still keeps an eye on the Lakers. And the fan in me even forgets, even recently, sort of pre-LeBron, even during some of Kobe's reign, I often forget how bad the Lakers were and how long their playoff drought was. So it's coming for the Lakers. I don't know if it's... A year from now, two years from now, but when you factor in LeBron's age, the roster's age, the composition of the roster, etc., there is a dip coming for the Lakers. One of the most storied franchises in professional sports had a long dip, a long dip, even with Kobe on the roster. So it's coming again at some point. I just don't think it'll start this year. I think they'll still be there when the dust settles. And I think, think they'll still be a, a dangerous team that, as I say, a lot of teams are going to want to deal with. But it's going to be a drama, I think, watching this team throughout the season try and piece it together. Because 20 games in, I'm not convinced that they've got it figured out. Like, Russ certainly looked fantastic last night, but that's without LeBron on the floor. I'm not going to sneeze at 31-13-10 and 10 on 10 of 18 shooting. He had an incredible night. But that's been few and far between thus far for Russell Westbrook. In fact, I think it was our conversation with Spearsy the other day, as I referenced it again, Mark Spears from ESPN, when the idea or the possibility was raised about would it be better bringing Russ off the bench? And people immediately probably, you know, raised their eyebrow to that idea. But let's remember, coming off the bench is nothing more than not hearing your name at the beginning because you could still end up playing 30, 32, 35 minutes as a sixth man. You're just not starting. You come in, you know, late first quarter, playing against second unit. You play, you know, a bulk of the second. Maybe you come in at the four or five-minute mark of the third, and then you end up playing almost all the fourth. 
whatever it is, however you distribute the minutes. You can still be a starter-type player and play starters-type minutes even if you're not in the starting lineup. And might that be better for the team long-term? I don't know. I mean, Rondo didn't play last night either. So you got to figure out, if he's not starting, who are you handing the keys to? So there are a lot of questions about the L.A. Lakers. As again, they sit a game below 500 and in the ninth seed in the Western Conference. I think we've got Jonesy's gremlins figured out. Let's keep our fingers crossed on that. But Jonesy, when I look at this team again and I factor in uh, you know, the, the inconsistency, what do you think uh, is the, the magic elixir for this team as they now enter the, the, the second portion of the season, the second set of 20 games, and, and we try to you know, decide and decipher what this team is all about? Well, Eric, the thing that um, we know that Father Time is undefeated, and the thing that I look at is LeBron James. All this is Mm -hmm. built and predicated around LeBron James and his health. And when I look at it, um, Father Time just doesn't come out and, well, for some people, it's not as precipitous as it is for others. It's not just a, a punch in the face. It's a, it's a pinch on the leg, a pinch in the back, a pinch on the neck, a pinch on the shoulder. And pretty soon, uh, you know, LeBron missed last time last year with a high ankle sprain. The guy's a tank. First time that's ever happened. Now he's got a groin injury. And he's like, it just, you know what I mean? It's just a little nagging away at you. And this is how father time is. It's one way of, of robbing you. And if it's predicated on LeBron being healthy and he's not, the team that you see on the floor is what you see on the floor, and they're going to have to figure it out. And I, uh, Russell Westbrook plays extremely hard. I'm not sure he's always the best decision maker or doesn't let, let's say, personal feelings get in the way at times. And even when LeBron comes back, I, I guess my question is, what do you do with Russ? How does he play? Uh, I would say, if you, like you, if you have him, He's going to have to come off the bench and maybe lead the second unit. And when he's on the floor with LeBron, try to adapt his game as to one that is that of moving, screening for other people, uh, learning how to be a decoy and not just standing there waiting for the ball to be in your hands. Uh, You know, I look at the way a guy like Carmelo Anthony has adapted. I I don't know if this Laker team can adapt in that way and, and put all these pieces together. They, they look great on paper, paper, and yes, it's potential, but it's, it's potential is like seeds in a bag. You just, you just don't know if it's going to grow into something. And I, I'd be kind of worried that they're running. I mean, we're only a quarter of the way through, but they're, they need time to put this together, especially with an older team. And there's going to be injuries. And as you said, you know, you didn't see a lot of Rondo last night. Like there are all these different things that I think need to happen for them that aren't happening right now. And they are going to be a story all year. They, the people are going to be watching them. And I, right now, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to happen. I, I really don't. Everybody's like, ah, oh, it's early. Give it time. We're a quarter of the way into the season. And they haven't shown any signs of anything consistent. They haven't. On the Lakers right now, nine and ten, a game below five hundred. They're seven and five at home. They're two and five on the road, and obviously dealing with a, a number of injuries and bumps and bruises, keeping various guys, including LeBron James, out of the lineup. So they will be uh, a team to 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 watch 
and continue to watch as we move forward into the season. And one of those teams as well, on a, on a more positive note, is the Miami Heat. And listen, they get the win last night, as they should, beating the Detroit Pistons. Um, but when you look at this squad, Jonesy, and the impact that Kyle Lowry is having, even last night, you look at last night's game, and I don't know if, how many people watched the game, but when you look down at the, at the end and see Kyle Lowry, 15 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, like, it's a good night. But he was clearly the difference maker. You can talk all you want about Tyler Hero and his 31 off the bench. To me, that was one of those games last night where you needed that, that glue guy, that veteran, that guy that's been in the trenches, the guy that's laying his body on the line and taking the charges and just kind of pulling you through on a night where... A lot of guys are struggling. Jimmy Butler is four of thirteen. The you know the 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 Heat uh, only put up a hundred against Detroit. The, the the Pistons are scratching and clawing and whatever. And to me, Jonesy, that's a game where you need a guy like Lowry. And when I look down, the numbers don't necessarily tell the story of the impact that Lowry made on that team. And I think will make obviously over the course of the season on that team. That's why you have him, Eric on nights like that when when guys are struggling because he does. He does the gritty things. Uh, we saw it in Toronto for years. We, we've wa- witnessed it in Toronto for years, where he does the gritty things. He does the stuff that um, you need to do. And I always, I always compare it to, uh, you know, a golfer in a major tournament or, or in a tournament where you're, you're battling your way around the course. Uh, you know, the second or third round of the tournament, you don't necessarily, you know, have a round where you shoot five under. Uh, you're even par and you're scratching and digging for pars and, and scrambling and saving. It's the same way in an NBA game. You're, you may not have everybody firing. You may not have it all going and you have to win in a different way. And, and Kyle Lowry is cut out for that. Uh, yeah, anybody can win when you're, everybody's firing and guys are knocking in 25 and 30 points and the ball's humming and the defense is on. But what about those nights when it's not happening? And that's where a guy like Kyle Lowry is, is big on your team. Um, I think Miami's dangerous just because of the way they're built. And as you said, the way they play. Uh, guys like Lowry and, you know, Jimmy Butler's able to do that for you on some nights uh, that, that, that with that same kind of attitude. Last night it was Kyle. And that, I think that uh, makes them a very, very dangerous team going forward. Well, and another team to jump back to the Western Conference, and I mentioned the score off the top and the injury uh, as, as Denver last night loses to the Portland Trailblazers, 119-100 the final in that game, but more important than the outcome of the game itself and the final score, P.J. Dozier uh, suffering what we uh, assume is a torn ACL in his left knee. In fact, it was confirmed this morning that it is indeed a torn ACL and uh, done for the season. And, and think about this, folks. Denver now is without Jamal Murray, who's still coming back from his ACL, Michael Porter with a lower back injury. I think we discussed that on yesterday's show. And they will get uh, Nikola Jokic back soon, who's been dealing with a wrist injury. But, man, the Nuggets, Jonesy, they have been hammered by the injury bug last season and certainly spilling over into this season as well. And you look down in the Western Conference, and I, we've talked a lot about the Lakers here in the first 10 minutes of the show at 9-10, and 10, just ahead of them in the eighth seed, the Denver Nuggets at 9-9, nine and nine, as they've been free-falling, largely because of the injury bug and not having the bodies in the lineup. 
they're sitting at nine and nine with five losses in a row. And even some of those guys that are banged up are, are, are chomping at the bit to get back. And I don't know if they're rushing it or if they're trying to come back too soon or what, but Jamal Murray's even saying, get me out there. I want to be playing. I want to be on the floor. And, and Jokic, same thing. I'm fine. Get me back out there. And they're going to have to try and, you know, figure out how they navigate these waters with so many guys dealing with bumps and bruises and not wanting to rush back, but at the same time, not wanting to be buried in the standings either. Because in the Western Conference, I mean, there's there's starting to be a separation created between the the sort of haves and have-nots, I think, when you look at sort of the upper tier and then that middle, let alone lower tier of teams. I agree. Um, And... It's the one thing that can derail you in a hurry, injuries to, to key players, to key people. And I, I was watching that last night when he went down, and that did not look good. So uh, it's a terrible announcement to hear that, you know, another we've, we've got another ACL injury. And just those are so arduous to come back from. Mm-hmm. And they got to hang in. I mean, that's, that's all you can do. That's why you, you pay 15, 16, 17 guys on your roster. Other guys need to step forward and... and the unfortunate thing about the NBA is it's a talent league. It, it is not like it's not like the college game. It's it's very very different. And uh, you know Denver's going to be in tough for a while. Well, a man that knows about the grind of an NBA season, a 12-year NBA vet. He's the uh, Memphis Grizzlies television analyst, and he joins us on the line right now, Brevin Knight. Brevin, thanks for the time today. No, thanks for having me. How y'all doing? Good, very good, Brevin. Hey, All good. before we get to the Grizzlies and, and, and obviously getting set for the Grizz and the Raptors tonight, uh, I, I just want to kind of stay on topic for a second here, Brevin. I know you watch the rest of the league and just as a, as a, as a fan of the game. Um, what's your sense of the first 20 games, the first, you know, we're kind of at the quarter point for most teams right now or, or just shy of it, Brevin. And have you gotten a sense of, you know, what we're seeing from like the Lakers, the Nuggets, as we were just talking about in the East, you know how how real are the struggles of the Milwaukee Bucks, who have started suddenly started to turn things around? How real is the start for the the Wizards? There's a lot of both pro and con storylines and teams that we've seen here in the first month or so of the season, Brevin. Yeah, and I think those storylines will continue to be written, and I'm I'm one of those guys that uh, I like to at least get 20 games into the year before you start coming up with any type of assessment of, of where a team is and, and what they can be. Uh, but like you guys are talking about, injuries will always play a part in every sport. Um, and, and in this, and in our sport, when your stars go down, now you have to try to uh, cover up for it, next man up mentality. Can you hang on, win some games here and there until they get back? So uh, I think circumstances dictate a lot. Uh, I think what you're saying is there are, there are going there's still the distinction so much between our young teams and our veteran teams and you see with your veteran teams you'll hear a lot of them talk to me but we're still just getting ready for uh, later in the year and and the younger teams is about getting experience can you get wins now while gaining experience and so I, I think it's still a, a little bit too early to start saying in terms of jockeying for position what teams will look like uh, as to say what it will be down the road. Some teams we know uh, will be, won't be playing for much as the season goes along, but some of these teams that start off quick here early, like Washington and, and teams like that, you see, can that pan out as the season goes along? Brevin, give me your take on the Lakers. Uh, you know, as Eric said, you're, you're a vet. You played in the league. Uh, you had a long tenure at point guard. You know how important chemistry is. 
Uh, you know how important role definition is. Give me your take on the Lakers because it, it's built on LeBron being healthy and then everybody has to fall into a role. And right now he's not healthy, so guys are taking on other roles. And when he comes back, there's going to have to be a shift again. How feasible is it that they do it quickly enough? I mean, on paper, they're a threat. There's no question. All I have to do is look at the names. But you don't play the game on paper. I don't think the Lakers are a threat without LeBron James. Um, I think that's the short of it for me. I mean, we can go down and say they have this guy and that guy, Westbrook, and bringing Carmelo Anthony. At the end of the day, the reason why it would all work is because LeBron James is there. I, I, I think that Anthony Davis is a fantastic talent. I just don't think that he, he has what it takes to then take, take the mantle that LeBron usually holds and is able to get the same out of that team as LeBron does. And that, that would be the only way that that Lakers team, uh, to me, could be a title contender. If LeBron's not playing, I think that they're just a, a really good basketball team that could beat you, but, but not in the, in the same talk as a Milwaukee Bucks, as a Phoenix Suns, uh, as a Utah Jazz team that's fully healthy, any of the – the top teams that are in the West. I don't think the, the Lakers uh, are the same without LeBron. And so I, it, it, that's kind of how they, they, they put the team together. They got a lot of names, but you said a lot of names on paper. A lot of guys that were able to do it individually when they were in their primes, but now it would still be needing someone to help that along. And LeBron's that one guy. And if he's not there, then uh, I just think that they become just a competitive basketball team. Speaking with Brevin Knight, Memphis Grizzlies television analyst, of course, 12-year NBA vet as well. Brevin, let me shift the attention a little bit to, to Memphis and Toronto, but look big picture um, before we get into the finer details of tonight's game specifically. You've been there. How difficult is it for any team to find that balance of sprinkling in the young pieces with the older pieces, with the veteran pieces, and win and yet develop at the same time? Because that's what Toronto's trying to do right now. That's what Golden State clearly is doing unbelievably to this point. It certainly helps that you've got Steph Curry. You look at a team like Memphis, a lot of young pieces trying to sprinkle in the right vets along the way to be the glue guys to hold all together. How difficult is it to walk that fine line and be that type of team? I think it's, it's difficult, but it comes down to your willing. Are you willing to have veteran guys? Are you willing to mix that young guys, or are you going to go all in one way? And I think that's what's happened to a lot of teams. They've gone all in one way or the other. But the teams that have been able to find that balance between playing vet guys, man, you said Golden State's a great example of it. This didn't just happen this year. This has been a couple of years in the making for them in terms of their younger guys taking more upon their, on their shoulders. But like you said, you got to have the right veteran guys that allow them to grow while still being uh, the dominant players that they are. And they just have the perfect vet, the perfect vet young guy mix. And the same thing for you guys. It's, it's, it's being able to allow your young guys to play, but don't compromise winning. And because you don't want young guys to pick up bad habits. Because at some point in time, you would like to say our young, the young players eventually become little bit older young players, but you want to be able to win at some point in time still with them being young. So the habits that they learn while they're young are huge in terms of 
what you'll look like on the other side. And so if you can have the nice mix uh, while they're still learning, and you may have to take some bumps and bruises, but as long as you see progress, uh, then I think that you're, you're, you're pointing in the right direction. Brevin, interesting you talk about that. Uh, and I look at the team in Memphis. Other than really Steven Anderson, and, uh, Steven Adams and, and Kyle Anderson, there's a lot of young dudes on that team. That is a very young team that is kind of accomplishing some of that. And, you know, people talk to us about, oh, you know, like it's okay to lose and get draft picks. But as you said, bad habits can be built with losing. And, and I yeah. look at what's going on in Memphis there's, there aren't, I wouldn't say there are, are, there are no bad habits, but this team is learning how to win as a young team without a lot of veterans on the squad. Yeah, and, that, and that's why, but that's why then you get the ebbs and flows because in our eight games that we lost, I think five of them, four or five have come by 20 or more. <laughs> but, but we're still, and if you look at our point differential, You'll scratch your head and look at our numbers and just say, "How in the heck are they are they above 500 with with those with those type numbers?" But that's what you get with young basketball teams. Are we a capable team every night? Very capable of being an excellent team every night. But when you when you're a young team that really doesn't know exactly how to do it consistently, then then that's where you have the ups and downs. And so. That's why you, you can watch us lose by 40 to Minnesota and then come back two nights later and beat the Utah Jazz in Utah. And, that, and you scratch your head and say, why? Because that's, that's what happens with young players. And, and, and yes, we, we, we have young players, but we've been blessed to have a, a superstar in the making and our point guard in John Morant that kind of covers up for your other youthful mistakes that may get made. So we're, we're in a a special situation because we have a, an extraordinary player that will make it a lot easier for guys in situations where you say young players usually struggle. Uh, he's not your average young player. Speaking with Brevin Knight, Brevin, I'm going to ask the very basic uh, question when you bring up Ja Morant. What makes him so special? What makes him such a threat on any given night? Because if you know, if you're a passionate NBA fan, you know about John Morant. You watch his games. You're excited by him. But the casual fan that maybe doesn't watch as many Grizzlies games, they know they know John Morant. They know the name. But what is it about him that makes him so special? Uh, it's his motor. You know, a lot of guys talk about people that play with a chip on their shoulder, uh, and, and that's usually a guy that's had to just work his way up, had to grind a lot, and, and now you see that there's some talent there. The thing for him is he's exceptionally talented, but he's also a hard worker. And so what you'll see is a guy that can create a high anytime the ball is in his hands, but will also make the basic play to get his teammate a basket. Uh, you're just going to see a guy that loves basketball. The spirit uh, that he plays the game with is very infectious. It's the reason why so many people – Want to tune in and watch, and of course the highlight. But it's just, it's just him. Certain people exude a a a, a swagger about themselves. There's a, an aura about when they're playing the game. He just has it. We uh, a lot of times you try to define what is that it factor. What is it? I mean, it's, it's very hard to define. But when guys have it, you know. And, and he's one of those guys that just has it. 
I'm surprised, Brevin, at what a what a good rebounder he is uh, for, you know, for his size. And, uh, you know, he's he's top 20 amongst guards. And when he gets that ball, it's it's it can be a one man fast break. I, I'm when I watch him, I'm surprised at how much, um, you know, how much he's around the ball when it comes off the glass and, and, and how the ball finds its way into his hands. Is that something that, you know, as a guard, you're, you're, you're kind of uh, conditioned to be around the ball, but is that like an extra, a little sixth sense that he has? Uh, I think I think a part of it is, number one, we need our guards to rebound in order for us to be a good rebounding team. Um, and, and so I think that's something that Taylor Jenkins has done a good job of uh, of getting across to our to our guards. The other thing is, if you're going to be a good rebounding team, that means that everybody has to be involved. Uh, and so uh, our entire team, the guards do a great job. And John, to his credit, uh, has jumped right in and fit right into that same mold. And uh, it's, it's a, a lot of it goes to say a lot of it is the game today with so many long jump shots, those yield long rebounds. And so if you're a guard that's hanging around that free throw line area uh, or even extended, you you pick up a lot of rebounds in that way. And so uh, it's, it's I think the, the times lend itself for guards to be involved, but he also does a good job of sticking his nose in there uh, to, to be available for rebounds. Hey, hey Brevin, last one for me. Uh, Jaron Jackson, Jr. Yep. Maybe has not been as quick as as fast as people uh, want it to be. This kid's got great potential. I mean, he makes the game-winning shot the other night, and he's one of those he's one of those new prototypical NBA players. Long, athletic, switch, can guard, can handle the ball. Um, you know what? What are you looking for from him this year, especially as the Grizzlies try to make a push? If you look at our team, he's, he's, he's arguably the most versatile player that we have on our team. Uh, and yet the, we have to – a lot of the people even here in, in town, but just the the uh, basketball world outside of here, he hasn't played basketball in two years, in essence, with his injuries. And so this was going it was going to take a moment for him, number one, to be able to come back and start to play real, meaningful basketball. Number two, it was – at new expectations because he, he came in his rookie year just green, let's see what he can do. Had a great rookie year. Came back the next two years because of injuries, wasn't able to do the same things. But then he signs a new contract. So now you have the expectation of the contract, not playing a lot of basketball, and the expectations that the team now has. There's a lot to throw on his shoulders in the beginning of the year. So, again, like I said, the whole 20 games thing. you got to let a guy at least get acclimated to himself and to what this team is doing. And I think as the games have gone along, number one, he stayed out of foul trouble, which was a big problem for him. Which is, he's been, his availability has been there. He is now mixing up between shooting threes and getting to the basket, which he's fantastic at. And on the defensive end, he has been fantastic with being a rim protector, shot blocker. So I, I think everything for him is just coming, uh, all coming back around. Hey, Brevin, we appreciate the time tonight. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, speaking with you again down the road. All the best. All right, now, thanks. You guys have a good one. Thanks, Brevin. There is Brevin Knight, Memphis Grizzlies television analyst, 12-year NBA vet, Raptors and Grizzlies tonight.
8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off as Toronto in Memphis for their fifth of six games on the road. The Raptors in Indiana on Friday to close out the road trip. We will talk more specifically about the Raptors when Alvin Williams joins us next on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones. Remember, if you like the show, subscribe to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review the show as well. It's game day for the Toronto Raptors in Memphis getting set for the Grizzlies. 8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off between the Raps and Grizz. And joining us on the line right now for his regular visit, it's Alvin Williams Wednesdays. As we bring into the conversation NBA veteran and uh, Raptors television analyst on Sportsnet, Alvin Williams. Al, thanks for the time as always, man. What's up, Ian Jonesy? How you guys doing? All good, Doing man. well, Al. All good. Doing well. Listen, Al, before we get into the Raps and Grizz, we, we need to play something for you. So so, so listening closely, this is kind of like, I know you're, you and I are of the same vintage, uh, so hopefully you remember this kind of a uh, this-is-your-life sort of segment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play something for you right now. We had somebody <laughs> on the show yesterday. We had somebody on the show yesterday that uh, I asked him, we asked him about you and his memories of you and the relationship that the two of you had. And uh, I'm going to play it for you right now. Lance, go ahead and roll that. Well, you you know, the thing that you saw immediately is that he wanted to be good. And he listened. And he paid attention. And he wasn't afraid to get out there and work and try things. So, uh, and, And when you have a young talent like that, that is willing to put the time in, is willing to hear what you're saying, is willing to experiment with these things, uh, that's wonderful. And and so I never doubted me that uh, he could make a difference. And, and, and I think that's what we want all young people to understand, is that they can make a difference. But we have to be able to communicate. You've got to talk. Uh, we, we've got to hear each other. We've got to respect the two-way street. If you want it, you got to give it. So, and, and Alvin was always there. So for me, it was fun. I mean, I love working with young people. I think, uh, you know, I tell people all the time because I have a foundation where I raise funds uh, for the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Uh, young people are our future. They're tomorrow's doctors, lawyers, you know, athletes, uh, politicians. They're the future. And if you're willing to put the time in, and they, uh, on the other hand, willing to hear you and see and listen, uh, it's open up. It's wide open for young people. Al, Lenny Wilkins, I know you've talked you know, so many times in the past about how important he was to your career, but clearly based on that answer that he gave, uh, the respect that he has for you, as he said, uh, a two-way street. Yeah, man, that was that was deep. I got I got freaking tears in my eyes, man, because Coach Wilkins he meant so much to me, it meant a lot to me, man. And I was my my career wasn't going in the way it needed to be going, or I expected to be going at that moment. And he came in, and he uh, put a lot he put a lot of trust in me. This summer, I lost my dad, and he was like a dad to me on the basketball side. So 
That was that was, that was good to hear Coach's voice. He did a lot for me, man. Thank, thanks for that. Uh, Al, we, we, well, we appreciate you. Uh, highly of you, Al. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I, no. I, I didn't, I didn't know it would have that type of impact on you, Al. But it just goes to show how important he clearly was to you, and and the type of man that he was, let alone the type of coach that he was. And uh, and Jonesy, that's something that that I know you can speak to as well. The impact of, as an educator that I'm sure you had on on a lot of uh, young students and and young people as well. The impact that a coach can have on a young person's life, let alone on their career, right? Well, and it's true, eh? and and I mean, you know, we both know Al as a guy that, um, you know, will would would do anything for his team, and that's that's the ultimate teammate. Mm-hmm. And you know, coaching is about it's more than X's and O's. It's being a leader of people. It's guiding people. Uh, it's shaping people the same way. You know, we we have that those that affinity and that love for our parents because we look back and what they did to help shape us. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I can I know exactly where Al's coming from with his, uh, you know, with his feelings and his his thoughts for Lenny and and uh, uh, there's 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 a lot more to coaching than than meets the eye. And Al, when you think back. Um, it was the whole group that Lenny impacted, right? He had that profound impact on you, but um, there were veteran players on that team that he was able to get to as well, wasn't there? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you, I'm sure you have to talk to those to those guys because I, I don't know if he had the same impact that he had on me because those guys were, you know, the Oakleys and Muggsies and, you know, those, those guys, Del Curry's, they, they've been through the wars. They've been through a lot of different coaches. They've been through different situations. I was still young to a lot of those things. So it wasn't a transactional relationship. I still, like you were saying, Josie, coaching was never transactional. It was always when you decided to play for a team when you were a kid, it was because of the coach, right? Your friends or your coach. So it was that emotional standpoint there. If you decided to go to a college, it was because of the coach came in your living room and you believed in him, right? And then sometimes you would get in a situation where you would see it's not what it was at first. But, you know, you know, me coming from Portland and Mike Dunleavy was a coach that gave the same type of trust in me and believed in me as a rookie. And then when I got traded, it wasn't the exact same relationship that I had with Butch. And understandably now when you get older, but when Lenny came, it got back to that organic feel. It got back to the to the feel where it was all pure again. And maybe it was because I benefited from it, but it was a situation where it felt pure. It felt like Coach Wilkins didn't have to win. He felt like he was established enough where he just wanted to teach, as he mentioned. And he always taught, whether it was the history of the game, whether it was him just sitting down talking to me. I remember when uh, he first came there, we were going after Catino Mobley. Um, he, was a, he was a free agent. And Catino and I are brothers. We grew up together, slept in the same bed together. And they brought me there, I guess, pretty much, you know, the selling piece. And the one thing after dinner, Coach Wilkins took me outside and he was like, you know, I didn't want you just to come to dinner to try to get your best friend here, but I truly believe in you. And one of the reasons I took this job was to get an opportunity to coach you. And that, that meant a lot for me. It put confidence back in me. So there's a lot of things to go behind that Coach Wilkins and my, my relationship. So, you know, you're, you're right when it comes to coaching. It's just not a transactional player-coach thing. It's always, for me, that relationship and, and, how, and how it develops. 
Speaking with Alvin Williams, Al, let me use that as a as sort of the jumping off point to bring it to current day and, and the Raptors. And, and I want to make sure that the audience is clear when I ask this question. I'm merely asking the question. I'm not saying that there's an issue or, or at all. I think Nick Nurse is a player's coach. I think Nick has been has a great relationship going back to his days as an assistant. But, of course, we know it's different when you slide over one chair and become the head coach. How much of a challenge do you think it will be for him, Al, moving forward? Because, you know, we're just we're not even three years removed from, you know, you're a rookie coach in the league, rookie head coach, and you've got Kawhi Leonard, and you've got Kyle Lowry, and Serge Ibaka, and Marc Gasol, and you've got some young pieces in Van Vliet, and Siakam, and Ananobi, and you win a championship, and then you come back the next year, and you've got the number one record in the league for a while. You're among the top two, three teams, and, you know, even when COVID hits, you come back in the bubble, you're in game seven in the second round, and you're, you know, scratching and clawing against the Celtics, maybe going back to an Eastern Conference final, you just fall short. And then last year, pandemic, changed roster, Kawhi's been gone a couple of years, Gasol's gone, Ibaka's gone, the team struggles, boom, you're out of the playoffs. Come back this year, now you don't have Kyle Lowry. It's a heck of a lot different for Nick Nurse right now in terms of what he needs to do on the floor, but even the way he needs to navigate it off the floor as he moves forward because a lot has changed for him in a very short period of time. Man, it, being a head coach, a professional head coach, is a mission impossible, right? It's one of those things where you have to measure your wins and losses and accordingly. It's not just about, you know, for me, the stats and where it really shows up. It's, it's the impact. But for Nick and any young coach, you know, it, it's day-to-day because you can get a Kawhi Leonard and have a Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and win a championship, and then the next year – you can have a total different team, whether it's due injury, transactions, whatever the case may be. So as a co- as a head coach, it is more of a transaction because you have to keep your job. And those relationships aren't developed. Uh, Alvin Williams and Eleni Wilkins' relationship will not be developed, you know, as easy or, or you know, as, as organically because Nick has a job to do. And now you see the NBA, there's 100 coaches there. So you're not interacting the way you used to interact on a personal level back then, right? So it's it's totally different. You have to go in there with a different mindset and a different understanding. And I think one of the purest relationships is that you know player development coach because some of the relationships I've 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 developed with some players was do that player development please. You know when you're in the gym rebounding, you're in the gym talking about the game, you're in the gym talking about some personal things. So when you're a head coach, you get a little removed from that. So it's a, definitely a challenge, but Nick Nurse he does do a good job, from my from my understanding and what I see, the team believes in him. So he has their air. He has players that can that can articulate what he wants to get through as well. So he's doing a great job, but um, it's definitely a challenge when when you're in that head coaching position, trying to have those relationships and still trying to win. And, and, and do what you can do, make sure that your job is secure and you give the best to the organization. Al, it's we, funny because uh, I was just watching an episode of Open Gym and they had uh, they had the, the camera in the locker room after the game and Nick had the guys bring it in and wraps on three, one, two, three wraps, and he walked away and you could just hear him mutter under his breath on camera, well, I'm happy till midnight, meaning <laughs> there's there's another game, another mountain to climb, and and here are the Raptors. I mean, you've been uh, you've been on this road trip. Uh, this is this these are the games at the end of the road trip where if if things aren't if things aren't 
properly put together, you can really let things slide. And, and how important is tonight's game, Memphis? You're starting. I mean, it's the it's the fifth game, and you've been away from home like ten days already. Talk to me about the mindset going into this game. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's one of those things. It's back end of these long trips, and you're trying to get wins. You're trying to make sure. And as a coach, it's also difficult because you don't even know who's playing from day to day. You know, it's like you you, you might not your best player may not be playing tonight, or because it's, it's load management, or it's whatever it may be. But in the case of a coach, when you're trying to get these wins, and it's teams that you think you should be able to beat. Right? And you're hoping the performance is the way it needs to be, be you know, played out. There's a lot to go into it. And then once the game is over, now you look at the result. You look at the performance. You look at the next game. So it's never a time to breathe, right? It's never, you, you might find that little window to breathe a bit. And I think the better coaches probably and the more experienced coaches probably have that ability. But I'm, I'm sure Nick Nurse, who, like you said, came in with win the championship his first year, player to coach of the year to next year and have done a great job and still pressure on him to get his team to go out there and perform. And there's so much uncertainty. So this game is big, but every game is big, especially when you're trying to string these games together. Because the expectation, you guys, you've been there from the beginning. I'll, you guys have been there longer than me. But, you know, the expectations always haven't been as high for the Raptors. It's like, you know, right now the expectations are high. Championship or bust, playoff or bust. So, that's not always the reality when you're coaching and you understand, you know, your talent and, and the level that your team is playing at. Speaking with Alvin Williams, and, you know, out to that point, and you've been fortunate enough to work on all sides. You've been in the front office. You've been on the coaching staff. You, you know, you, you've been a player. You, you've been a broadcaster. So you've come at it from so many different angles. The one thing I would say to this, too, and, and this is not Nick Nurse's concern. This is not the player's concern, but – I looked down, and I, I looked this up because we, we were just talking to Brevin Knight, and I was wondering about the Grizzlies, where they were in terms of attendance, because I've heard some you know, stories about even in spite of Ja Morant, the Grizz, so I looked it up. They're fourth from the bottom in attendance. They're struggling to sell tickets. The Toronto Raptors are third in the NBA, and they're only third because their building doesn't have a larger capacity. The Bulls are number one. That They can seat almost 21,000 at the United Center. The 76ers are number two. The Toronto Raptors, number three in NBA attendance, They've sold out every game so far this year at Scotiabank Arena, yet at home they've got a losing record at 2-6. and six. They're below 500, and at the beginning of the season, Al, there were a ton of people. I mean a ton of people in the Raptor fan base going crazy. They were sideways over the cost of tickets for Raptor games this year. That's got to be a concern for the organization, too. When you talk about moving forward, you want to win games. And, again, this is not the coach's concern, but from an organizational standpoint, the team needs to do well, at least be in contention for a postseason, if you're going to be charging the prices you are for tickets. No? Hey, you're out my wheelhouse now. I I mean, I'm not going to talk about what the price of the tickets would be. Inflation, I guess. But I guess if you put the product out there and – they perform, and that's the one thing I will say with Toronto. It's like we've always had support, right? We've all, even when we really, really were bad. Like we always had support, and I think it's a unique situation when you have someone flying in or a family flying in from Winnipeg to come to a Raptors game, or you have teams from people from all over the country flying in to see, you know, an organization. Whereas if you're Memphis, no one from San Antonio is coming there to watch Memphis play or Philadelphia to come watch Memphis play. So it's a unique situation. So 
I'm really not sure that the the dynamics of of ticket sales and and that, and that whole revenue aspect. So, I, but I agree with you. You're gonna have to some. You're gonna have to have some type of success if you want to, you know, charge or demand that type of price. Al, what have you seen growth-wise from this team on this trip? You know, it's a, like I said, it's a chance to bond, to get together. What have you seen growth-wise from these guys? Um, you know, honestly, I, a lot of times you see the growth, Jonesy, after games. You see the interaction in a locker room. You hear the conversation. You see the preparation, you know, leading up to the game. That that That's a lot of growth in my eyes. On the court, you know, the performance, the performance is. I'm sorry. The, hello. We still got you, Al. We got you, Al. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we still got you, Al. Yeah, I'm sorry. The performance is. Uh, is sometimes not always the result of the growth, because it's game to game, situation to situation, but just having the ability of. I would like to see. Scotty Barnes be more involved, especially with Pascal Siakam in the lineup. It's one of those things where just trying to get that mixture because Scotty is so valuable, and I think he can relieve some of the, the pressures on Pascal Siakam. So that's one of the things I would like to see. But um, as far as the growth, I can't say I have seen much growth you know, on the court. But once again, the growth definitely comes from behind the scenes a lot of the times. Al, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for joining us today and, and, and sharing your thoughts off the top as well about uh, Lenny and more. Uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again and, and hopefully seeing you again soon. Thanks a lot, guys. And thanks for that Thanks for that bit from um, Coach Wilkins. Uh, our pleasure, man. All the best, Al. Thank you. Good There's to have you, Al. Good to have Alvin you, Alvin Williams, NBA veteran, of course, longtime Toronto Raptor and Raptors television analyst on Sportsnet. Raptors getting set for the Grizzlies tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern, the tip-off between the Raps and Grizz. We will step aside for uh, a couple of moments here and uh, continue on with Smith & Jones. But make sure, folks, if you haven't subscribed yet, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review the show as well.